off our uh, hidden fortress. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily versus, but no, it's, it's like it's a with like, <laughs> yeah. fortress and, and. <laughs> Star Wars. And Star Wars. <laughs> um, yeah, so. Uh, Tara is our, our main. Uh, our, our, a lot again, of our professor. I like them a lot. Oh. Uh, and so yeah, she you know brought this up. We were talking about this like I think like one of like the first times you even were mm-hmm. like guesting on the episode back in during the abyss when you all were miserable when I make you watch movies. <laughs> that I, I recommend a movie. Everybody hates it. Uh, I don't think so. I don't know about I that. Didn't hate the abyss. It's just. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We have the nostalgia goggles. On, I do. But. I do. That's okay. I, I, I will love them. I will love them no matter what. I still love you, the abyss. <laughs> but I think that there's some really like I want to have some context at the beginning of this conversation. We are not saying that George Lucas stole from Star Wars. Hear that, fanboys? Stole that from, is stole, uh, stole from, from Kurosawa. Kurosawa. We yeah. are not saying that. I just want to make that super super clear that Kurosawa grew up watching westerns, American westerns, and then. Uh, Hidden Fortress is really like a samurai western, and then Lucas was inspired to take a samurai western and put it in space, right? So this is like a really fun overlaps and kind of where they meet, not that George Lucas is stealing. I mean, there's quite a bit of overlap. There's and, quite again, a bit. There's a lot of overlap. And again, that's not yeah. to say that, uh, yeah, that they the, can't the stealing, each other. this yep. is just no, saying it, that tropes exist and people and, use and it's, them. It's homages <laughs> and also everybody takes from everybody. Yeah. It's movies. Yes. Like everybody, people get inspired by other things. Yes, yeah. I just need, need to say that at the beginning so that the, to, to make, make it clear for the fanboys who will hate this episode no, no. <laughs> well there's nothing we can do about there's nothing that, we can do so about let's it. just forge it well you're already a woman talking about star wars so. i know i was actually thinking <laughs> yeah. about that and i'm yeah. like i'm a woman talking about star wars oh. well i mean like what man are you trying to impress that's the oh. real question <laughs> <laughs> okay because yeah everyone knows yeah star wars fanboys are the most eligible of bachelors and they, they really love women and respect yeah let's just start and, this yeah. episode by shitting on everyone, everyone. Who may be listening. Yep. No. <laughs> no luckily we have great listeners so. we do we do we do not have the toxic fandom problem luckily um but yeah do we want to like start do we want to break down each movie individually do you just want to dive into both of them both of them are pretty you know at this point i don't think spoilers are going to be an issue no um they're yeah they're both you know three plus decades old uh yeah so so if you haven't seen them too bad hidden fortress came out in 1958 star wars came out in 1977 yeah so if you haven't watched it at this point, that's on you. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I could see Hidden Fortress, like maybe people not having yeah, people, seen. Yeah, but... people are like, oh, I'm not. I haven't seen this Japanese film from the fifties. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but... Yeah. <laughs> but so yeah, so I, maybe you might want if you haven't seen Hidden Fortress, listen to this podcast first because it will kind of give you some things to look for um, when watching it or not. So yeah, you can wait until after you've seen it. Um, yeah, I don't know how y'all want to do this. I mean, we can. I, I was thinking we might want to start with just talking about how Star Wars in general is influenced by Kurosawa movies, and then we can maybe go into each movie or like how the whole yeah, Star that Wars seems good. world I don't, is. Again, I think enough people know enough about like Star Wars that uh, if we just kind of like point out certain things, we don't necessarily have to go beat by beat into uh, mm-hmm. um, every into both of these movies. Just because, um, yeah, I feel like most people have a general idea of what Star Wars is and the plot. <laughs> I don't think I'd seen a, a quote-unquote A New Hope uh, since probably... I think I saw it... 
I did a rewatch when The Force Awakens came out of mm. like all of the Star Wars movies. Including the prequels. I did. I, I went through yeah, all I of them. I tried to watch them for this podcast and I <laughs> could, not, could not um, get through it. But yeah, I like I but I also like never like grew up with Star Wars, so mm. it was kind of like maybe like my second time having seen it. Uh and I like still like it's interesting like not necessarily like having you know like that where you can close your eyes and like view every scene yep. going on in your head but like still knowing like everything that's going to happen next so. so but it's still a little fresh for you and yeah. you're not yeah oh that's awesome and i feel like even before uh, i'd seen it like i could still probably tell you everything that happens just because <laughs> so many people like you know just talk about star wars and it's because it's such a pervasive part of american culture yeah star wars. pop yeah. culture yeah. the dead center of pop culture but yeah give us a little uh a Kira yeah. Kurosawa breakdown okay so i'll just jump in with okay so all of the star wars universe is very deeply inspired by japanese culture and japanese culture as seen by George Lucas like via all, Kurosawa movies. Yeah, all the production design. Everything that Every, like, people like reacted to and thought like, oh, these costumes are so cool. It's because it's... Yeah, Darth Vader's helmet. It's, it's like a, a samurai, samurai helmet. Yeah. His yeah. chest plate is a samurai chest plate. Uh, they're all dressed vaguely like they're doing Aikido, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they all have that particular type of robe or kimono. Obi-Wan's name. So when you're wearing a kimono, the sash that you tie around your waist is called an obi Right, uh, that's where the name Obi Wan uh, Kenobi comes from. Wait, um, do you mean Old Ben Kenobi? Uh, <laughs> is that know, the same person? I don't know. The guy with the same name, <laughs> the exact same name. <laughs> okay, and then this goes all the way through the Last Jedi, where there's direct references to Kurosawa movies, where he does the Rashomon effect, where you see the same story three different times through three different points of view. That. Uh, originated, Chris created that technique in Rashomon. He also, uh, The Last Jedi also really pulls on Yojimbo, uh, another Kurosawa movie, especially the end scene where Kylo Ren and Luke are fighting. That one might actually go from Yojimbo to Sergio Leone to Ryan Johnson. <laughs> that might be more of the, into spaghetti westerns and then back into Star Wars. Um, the Mandalorian talks about the way. So I'm sorry, I'm not that's maybe a minor plot spoilers. They call it The Way, which is literally from Bushido, which is the Japanese samurai code. Do meaning the way, like Aikido or Kendo or oh. Shodo. Do means the way, right? So it's capital T-H, The Way. Uh, there's a lot of fans who went crazy. Should I keep going about this? Should I just keep going? Yeah. Okay, there's a lot of fans who go nuts about, um, there's like, three frames of The Last Jedi where you can see when Kylo Ren is in his little uh, training uh, hut. You can see that he has a calligraphy set, like a Chinese calligraphy set in the background. And so people are like, why? Kylo Ren does calligraphy? How can how could he turn into Kylo How could Ben Solo become Kylo Ren? Well, that's because, uh, again, in a lot of Kurosawa movies and other Japanese movies, you'll see that people who practice sword fighting also do calligraphy as a way, uh, Shodo as a style to... Um, kind of balance, both learn how to do, uh, to influence their sword play, right? Uh, I think Hero... Was that... Uh, yeah, I think yes. I was going to say, like, it's either Hero or, like, somewhere around that, like, Crouching yes. Tiger, Hidden Dragon time. Yes. There was... Uh, I think that... And I think it was Hero where yes. they specifically talk about, you know, how, like, the movement of the wrist, like, it's, it's just, trans, translates into the movement of the arm and... Yes, yeah. yeah. So that's... <laughs> and then he even does, like, a big, like... He uses, like, a giant, like, brush and, like, does In a the whole, sand, yeah. yes. 
yes. So yeah. this is a trope, right? This is a thing, uh, Star Wars fans. This comes from Chinese culture and then also Japanese culture. Um, the You can also see the influences in the Padawan rat tails. I don't know how better to oh, describe yeah. them. Yeah, right? no. <laughs> yeah you, you can see that in Japanese films. Yes, the, the top the, knot and then different yeah. hairstyles, right? So it shows up there. Um, there is a mild spoiler for the Mandalorian series for those of you who haven't seen it yet. There, it is... There, episodes two and four of the first season of The Mandalorian, what's out right now, are heavily influenced by a very famous um, Japanese manga that then was made into TV shows and other stuff. Um, the name of which, if you don't want a plot spoiler, you can not listen for a second, which is called Lone Wolf and Cub. For those of you who have um, not read that manga series, it's fantastic. Um, I can just keep going. So let's just jump into the movies. Yeah, <laughs> Well, yeah, because uh, I think that right off the bat, we definitely see a lot of uh, similarities as far as um, the the what are the peasants, uh, the peasants Matashichi being, and yeah, Tahe 3PO and uh, R2 yeah, yes. yeah. where yeah. it's like they you know start out their um, we see the story from their point of view as opposed to like our quote unquote heroes yes. so far uh, and so like most of the movie is taken from their perspective to begin and um yeah, we get them like walking in the desert. Yes. Like we get them um, not being able to agree agree on which direction to go, and so they split up, only to both be captured and end up in and end up in, in the, the same, same place. place. Yeah, and we see a similar dynamic between the two of them, right? Mm-hmm. How like they like claim to all be the best of friends, and they're always shitty to each other. Yeah, yes. like they're constantly fighting, but they're still like best friends, and they're always whenever things are going bad, they're like, oh, we should we're okay. It's we all right. But then it. whenever things are good, they're like, it's all my goal. No, it's my goal. Yeah, as soon as, yeah, as, soon as they get, get any money, and then they're just like, yeah, no, we got to fight. <laughs> yeah, so you have two fools in the desert, one who's tall and prissier, and one who's short and chub- and rounder um, who fight. Yeah, so that's really, really how we begin both of these movies, essentially. Yeah. Yep. And then we've got, um, yeah, a fugitive princess on the run. Um, <laughs> in, this, in Hidden Fortress, it's uh, Yuki, who is like the last of the Akizuki clan. Uh, And then in Star Wars, we obviously have Leia who becomes the last of the world of Alderaan. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yeah, we get immediately (laughs) those two (laughs) things back to back. Look at them. And and that we start the story uh, in the middle of a war where we don't have any context Mm -hmm. for it, right? That both of them just, in the samurai case, just drop us into in Hidden Fortress. We don't know who these rival clans are. Similar to Star Wars, we just are dropped into the action. Well, in Star Wars, we have a text crawl that gives us like a little bit of exposition in the way in George Lucas's other main inspiration apart from Kurosawa for Star Wars which was these uh, television serials Mm -hmm. that George Lucas is too young to have actually been nostalgic for Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> but but like he's basically like that's the other thing that he was like pulling from. Yeah, kind of Flash Gordon, yeah, westerns, etc. Right, so really seeing the overlaps there. Then we, I mean, just the device of wipes. Can we talk about wipes? Oh yeah, yeah. That was another thing. Oh, I like, I, the first time it happened, wipes. I was like, oh, in I was like, well, that's where George Lucas got the idea of the wipes from. <laughs> here we have another one, and here we have another one. Yeah. Uh, for people who don't understand, know what a wipe is, it's a transition between two scenes where one image literally wipes the other one off uh, screen and it's funny because wipes are now seen as corny uh listen go watch the hulk or listen to our hulk episode for the <laughs> yeah. pissed about all the wipes in it <laughs> where star wars is really the only le- film that really uses wipes to 
still to this day, right? And kind of clock wipes and hand all kinds of different um, techniques that they use. Should we keep going? Similarities here? Uh, well, yeah, we've got... Um, so there is... I believe his name is Hyoe. And so he is an old friend of our uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi character in Hidden Fortress, uh, who is played by... That's Toshiro Mifune's character... Uh, Makabe, uh, Rokurota Makabe, uh, who is like, yeah, old, grizzled veteran who has kind of like um, gone like off the grid, has decided like, you know, to not really fight in any more wars, um, but of course gets pulled in for this like job of protecting the princess and so has to like return to the like the battle, not the battle, but just his own battle, his own personal battle. Um, and then he... and, and similar to Obi-Wan that at first you just think he's this old hermit right or this and then nope he's a former general right yeah <laughs> yeah. and um, we get like a scene where he he's actually like it's very similar to uh, Obi-Wan fighting Darth Vader I wrote that same thing yeah. I, I made the exact same note like with the spear duel between the two generals yeah like, so the exact same. Well, and then, like, so, like, yeah, that person who uh, we find out later in Hidden Fortress is actually an old friend yep. of uh, Makabe. We find out, uh, and who, uh, when he is revealed later in the movie, has a giant scar on his face that he received um, because uh, he lost this battle. Because he took off he, his da- Darth Vader because mask. He, yeah, because he, yeah, he, like, lost the battle to uh, Hakabe and and was, like, scarred by his But was left master. alive. Yeah. Like, he lost the battle, but he didn't die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then eventually turns on, like, his masters uh, to help, like, the, the, the princess. And so it's like we get... A lot, a very similar Plot arc, points. even well, like arc to um, like, a character, like yeah, like, Darth it's Vader. Within like. This one movie is the same thing that we see from Star Wars to Return of the Jedi. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, and then you also can see the scar that he has is almost exactly the same shape as Kylo Ren's scar in the later movies, right? Uh, yeah, uh, but there is something interesting. I want to uh, talk about uh, kind of Toshiro Mifune and Adam Driver as being actually a little bit similar in that they both. I could talk about Toshiro Mifune. I could talk about him day. all day long. Like, His thighs uh, in this movie. Oh, yeah. men. When are men going to start dressing like, like that, that again? Oh, I mean, come on. Oh, <laughs> that was fashion. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So we have these two male leads, both of whom are known for their physicality as actors and kind of physical agility, who also have odd voices. So Adam Driver, I just saw, um, what's the one, the record, the report, I just saw that the other day that just came out. Um, Adam Driver has these really odd speech patterns and cadences in all of his movies. I think that's maybe just the way he talks. But um, Toshio Mifune was noted for kind of this guttural deep blah, 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 voice that even Japanese people had a hard time understanding what he was saying. So we have these kind of physical, big, in Toshiro Mifune's case, you have those beautiful thighs that we see through the whole movie. <laughs> Adam Driver's chest is on display, his big sweaty chest, right? That There's a kind of overlap in um, how people are thinking about those two. I just want to toss it out there as something I noticed this time around. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, and we got like uh, even the the body double, which was used in episode one, uh, with uh, yes. what's her name? Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman uh, Kira Pern- Knightley. Uh, uh, what's the character's name? Padme. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Amadala. Yes. Well. Yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. um, yeah. So yeah, we get like the 
in this case, the um, Princess Yuki, uh, her body double, who is also Makabe's sister, uh, is captured instead of her. And beheaded. And is actually beheaded. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so we get this also really interesting dynamic of him, of Makabe being, you know, 100% devoted to Yuki and, you know, really just kind of, I don't think he ever really like processes it or like, it's kind of like this like very stoic resolve that he has in terms of like his sister being killed of like, this is our service. This is like, we are your servants. And so our entire duty is to give our lives for you should the need arise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do we want to talk about um, uh, overlaps between uh, Princess Yuki and Princess Leia about how there are similarities that you have a feisty oh yeah the very yes, like a feisty like yeah. take charge like action backed woman like also like a young character like uh, Princess Yuki is supposed to be 16 mm-hmm. I don't think we ever hear how young Leia is but I mean at the time of filming it like Carrie 20. Fisher was like yeah maybe 20 yeah somewhere around there yep and that we have um, they also are both very stubborn and have to be kind of tricked out of their stubbornness at yeah. points um, and they both also have again going back to voices that uh, you know Princess Yuki is that she will be identifiable by her high class accent so she should, should not speak right so that's why she is a mute and um, I had forgotten and because I haven't seen uh, A New Hope in a long time either but those first scenes with uh, Carrie Fisher where she has this weirdo uh, she's put on this uh, weird affected accent where pseudo British accent and, but, she, it, but where it really comes out is the scene with uh, like um Tarkin, Tarkin. Mm-hmm. which is like, I recognized your foul stench when you were a bottom bald. It's like she's not talking like that for the rest of the movie. <laughs> no, nope, nope, a little bit of an inconsistent accent there. But again, that Americans read British as either high class or villains, right? So yeah. kind of pulling on that. Um, it's also, I really like that they both know how to fight. Right. And they both have scenes where they're sleeping and are kind of regarded for their beauty and femininity, even though they're strong fighters. And so that is kind of breaks the mold on a couple of the like princess and distress models. Yeah. And I think uh, particular to Yuki, I really like the characterization they have of her where she is like, um, yeah, very like steel faced, like very Mm -hmm. stubborn. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, you know, they're talking about how. Um, as she like once she leaves after her like handmaiden is like talking with Makabe about you know how oh I haven't like seen her cry at all like since this whole thing started Mm -hmm. and then like we get this like next shot where it's like her just like in tears with like the flag bearing the crest of her house on it like as she's just like staring off like in like over like into like a cliff and just like weeping openly and it's just like such a great moment of like getting to see again that vulnerability vulnerability but it's also like angry tears yeah yeah And it's like this emotional plea. Again, here's another parallel where you have the princess making an emotional plea or drive in a special effect shot, right? That's the only double exposure in Hidden Fortress as a special effect. And then we have Princess Leia and her hologram. Help me, Obi-Wan. You're my only hope, yeah. right? That Even that is a parallel there. I, I want to circle back to like her being a, a badass fighter, too, is just to talk about her fighting style because I love the way that she's just using all the trees and the shrubs and the yes. bushes oh, yeah. as weapons like these guys are trying to chase her and she'll just like pull a tree back and like snap it at him, <laughs> <Slap> him. 
playing up that they are both fools, but that she's also resourceful. Her the top of her costume is basically the top of Ray's costume, right? I would say she yeah. has a lot of overlap with that kind of scrappy fighter style that Ray has in the in the prequel. Uh, yeah, the to the same point that she like series. fights with a stick. Yes, like Ray fights with a stick in. Yes the new movies and like yep. the princess has a stick in her hand that she just whacks people with constantly. yes exactly exactly uh there was another parallel to another movie that Ooh. i it wasn't really a parallel it was just a similarly uh the landscape looked very familiar and it's when they're at the end and um and it's like the two peasants are you know kneeling in this garden that yes. looks a lot like the garden the garden <laughs> It's, uh, yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, yeah, again, that just speaks to, because the um, original uh, architect in Parasite was a Japanese man. And yeah. so, like, and then you when, see a lot of that same aesthetic. In <laughs> almost the last shot, when they've left that palace and they're on, they're descending the, the stairs, stairs, coming back down out of that, it looked like walking down the stairs like coming out of the house uh, in Parasite. Coming yeah. out of the house from Parasite also looks like the ceremony scene where they get their medals at the end, yep, right? Yep. That we have Absolutely. the bowing to the leader, to the princess who's dressed in white, right? And then we have the kind of with being awarded their win. Yeah, and that's how, because I know the layout of those houses, that's how I was like, where's the garden? Why haven't we seen the garden yet while watching Parasite? I was like, I know it's there. Turn the camera around, <laughs> right? I know it's going to be there. It's going to be beautiful. <laughs> but, oh, uh, what were you saying? Uh, what were you just saying? Because there was another point there. Uh, I was talking about the how she fights with the stick and how she uses the uh, the trees and the branches and oh, everything. Oh, similarities in the visuals. Well, that's what it was. Is that okay? So you have um, sandy ravines and lush forests as yeah. locations, yeah. right? And where you you know I don't want to go in the two foot deep water hole versus um, C three PO saying, oh, it's much too rocky over there. I can't go that way, right? <laughs> you have kind of a contrast between those in both films. Yep. Oh, there's so much. Uh, what, what else? Do we want to talk about the plots of it or keep going? Yeah, uh, let's take a little break here. And then when we get back, we will continue. And we're back. So, yeah, um, should we like talk a little bit more about uh, each movie individually? Because mm -hmm. I think that there's some really good, uh, like, again, Star Wars. Anyone know Star Wars? I think some, like if you haven't seen Hidden Fortress, it's definitely worth a watch. Um, just because I mean, Kurosawa is just because like, like, really just like a because he's unbelievable. Like, he's, he's, the voice of a generation. He's yes. like he seriously is the voice of a generation. Like people were like not only George Lucas, but like everybody was stealing from Kurosawa Everyone. for forever. Yeah, and that's why because, it's it's so hard in some ways to like it's to kind of look back and see how important he was, but he developed so many techniques that we see all the time. The idea that you would point a camera into the sun, right? And that's in Rashomon. It's the first time with a kind of a tree cloudy, uh, tree cover. That tracking shot is the first time somebody pointed the camera into the sun, right? Like what? <laughs> this is partially because of the physics of light and how you don't, don't want to do that. But, yeah. um, but uh, one of the things I wrote down watching Hidden Fortress was, is he the best DP that there's ever been? Yeah. Like, it, like, can you think of a better, like, director of photography or cinematographer than Kurosawa or, like, somebody... It's hard because great cinematographers that we think of today, like, if you're going to talk about Roger Deakins or you're going to talk about, you know, whoever, they're all 
borrowing from Kurosawa. <laughs> yes, and the exquisite framing that every shot of this right is almost is calculated down to in throne of blood the sand that they were standing on wasn't dark enough so he went to a volcano and got the black sand to bring in to make the, it all the way the jet black color that he wanted he was also known his nickname was the emperor <laughs> because of his very let's call it like a dictatorial yeah. <laughs> directing style that he really because he had a command over every part of the image and every part of um, each scene yeah so it's beautiful right it's a beautifully shot film that other people steal from all the time in the clone wars up whichever one that one is attack of the clones uh like he lucas pulls from a couple of scenes from this movie in terms of how he's shooting them but with nowhere the grace, elegance, or beauty that <laughs> Kurosawa is able to achieve. <laughs> there was like one shot in particular, and it happened a few times, but when the peasants are climbing up this loose rock hill, yes. and the camera is looking at this odd angle, I was just trying to figure out how, from a technical standpoint, he even did that. Because yes. it was so cool looking, and I'm just like, it seems like it has to have been filmed outside, and I'm like, how did he get that shot? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that everything in his films is so physical and tactile, right? You can, like, taste the dust that's getting kicked up, right? That yeah. It has this very, very um, deep physicality to it. Yeah. Um, I would also say another technique that he does in this movie, which, again, he semi-invented, is the idea of having, during action scenes, having a foreground, middle ground, and background that are all running at different speeds. So say, for example, if someone's riding on a horse, that you put, like, a thicket in front of them, so you're seeing the horse through a thicket and that then has trees behind it, right? So kind of having three image planes is something that Lucas then takes up as a lot of times every time you look through a viewer uh through um binoculars oh, <laughs> the fancy yeah. binoculars you have kind of the hud the display itself and then what you're looking at right and so kind of being able to break up vision that same way kind of multi-planes of focus oh which then again is used in parasite really smartly <laughs> i was another thing i was noticing just watching this film was like he's either with every shot giving you a master class in the rule of threes or he's breaking the rule of threes like very <laughs> mm -hmm. intently mm -hmm. like there there was one shot in particular when they're all they've all been captured the princess our general and the handmaiden and they're tied to these posts and the other general is like standing off to one side and then the yeah. shadows are cast across the wall and if you just do a google image search of the rule of threes and you see the frame broken into all the little squares like every square has something that's interesting going on in it. Yes, master. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> oh no, yeah. it's like that. That scene actually is one of uh, ones I had notes about because I loved her like final speech that she yeah, did. Yeah, when she talks uh, about the song at the fire festival. Yeah, and um, because they're talking about you know pretty much the the brevity of life. It's like this song. It says you know like take a man's life and throw it into a fire. Take it in sex life and throw it into the fire. Yeah. And it's pretty much this like whole song about, um, yeah, kind of like letting go uh, because, you know, life is fleeting. And so, um, yeah, just just burn. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, and and I, I really love that um, because that uh, fire festival scene, too, is where, you know, we really see for the first time Yuki just like kind of like fully letting go. Like, really just, like, being very joyful and, like, dancing with everyone. 
Uh, and then... And, and we... this is happening as all of the gold is burning. <laughs> <laughs> the gold that the peasants have been after this whole movie... Is now on fire. Is, is now on fire. <laughs> well, yeah, because, yeah, they... Yeah, I don't think we covered that. But, yeah, they hid the gold in... Uh, firewood. In firewood. Uh, and so, yeah, they had to... Uh, kind of divert themselves so that way they get, wouldn't get caught and there was like a fire festival going on and so um, yeah the, <laughs> not, the, not that fire festival yeah not that, that, that fire festival oh yeah not the one in the <laughs> this Bahamas. one actually happened yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah like that that moment where she yeah, is you know pretty much saying I don't want anyone else to die for me mm-hmm. um, after they had made in the volunteers to like or pretty much says like oh no I'm the princess I'm actually the princess that's a body double uh, and then the actual princess is like, no, I don't want anyone else to die for me. Like I've, you know, uh, on this journey, I've like, you know, learned, you know, the value of life. I've learned all of these amazing things and like, just like how like amazing people are. And um, if it's my time to go, then it's my time. And that whole scene, like, yeah, the um, General Hiwe is like, just like standing there. This is before he's turned and he's like, just like, a statue he's yes. just like yeah. ri- like just like a statue the whole time like as she's like giving this speech and we we don't see his face nor do we like hear anything from him but you get from his performance like the respect and the like the honor that he has in her from like this speech yes yeah. we don't need a close-up right yeah. thank you kurosawa we don't need a close-up <laughs> to express emotion <laughs> yeah and then that next scene is like as they're taking her to be executed um like just before like it's about to happen you know Hyoe like starts singing the song that yes. she was singing and then lets them go and like you know sends off the horses with the gold and so yeah we get this moment where like you understand that that was the moment that changed him with yeah you know, mm-hmm. without necessarily having the the weepy My eye or like the trembling lips or yeah. <laughs> say it and or have a close-up of their face but i think that scene in particular does a really is a nice way to illustrate the way in which japanese religious tradition shows up in star wars so i'm gonna do this real fast (laughs) this is not the (laughs) this is the one minute version not the like writing six books on a version okay the force we have the force right in star wars there are actually four types to the force which i'm not going to talk about you can look it up on wikipedia later um if you really want to go into that um and then you have kind of Shinto Buddhist traditions in Japan. And I'm going to use those terms interchangeably and people might get mad at me for that, but I'm just going to call put them together for right now. Um, and what Shinto Buddhists really heavily barring on the Shintoist tradition is the belief that there's, ready for this, that everything in the world has energy, has a spirit, right? That, and it has a wind and has this vitality and this vital principle and element that flows through everything. It's also, Shintoism is often referred to as an animistic religion for that reason, because it has anima in the Latin sense of the world. Does that sound like anything you see? It's almost in the... like it, it surrounds us, it <laughs> penetrates us, it binds the galaxy together. <laughs> oh, it's perfect, exactly, right? And so I think that one of the reasons that one might describe um, Hidden Fortress as fine art or high art, and that Star Wars might be considered more pop culture art, is that from that kind of tradition, right? We have the fire festival. We have um, uh, Princess Yuki's 
realization to not be attached to life, right? And this is very much in the Shinto Buddhist tradition, not what I would call American or Western Buddhism, where it's like, oh, just feel whatever you want or some <laughs> touchy-feely, new agey, cherry-picked ideals <laughs> and just <laughs> find yourself not, not a soccer mom with her latte going namaste yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly so not that but instead princess yuki truly embodies that idea of lack of attachment and that's what she gets from the fire festival which is a celebration of this kind of uh shinto slash animistic tradition right so what Yuki does is willing to sacrifice herself and via that sacrifice, and she sings that beautiful song through that, she changes the quote-unquote villain's mind, right? That's what she's learned from it. In Star Wars, you get a little bit more of like, people having cool telekinetic powers. <laughs> These are not the droids you're looking for. These are not the droids you're looking for. You can change <laughs> Which people. we do get that yes. moment. Yes. <laughs> That's another one that was a, a common one was uh, as their... Uh, going through the checkpoint in Hidden Fortress with like all of the gold hidden in like these fire stick bundles. Uh, it's a very similar scene to yes. the droids, uh, them passing the checkpoint with the droids where they like, oh yeah, no, it's nothing, nothing to see here. And then they just like get through. Yep, just kind of wander through. <laughs> We're going to create a diversion. <laughs> yeah, so I think that that's where, um, how the force is used and to whose benefit and in what ways, right? That um, uh, Also, one could describe that Totoro, in the, my neighbor Totoro, that the Totoros are that same spirit, right? They're the force that makes, or an anim, uh, anthropomorphized version of Anima, right? That they're the force that makes the wind blow, the force that makes the the plants grow, right? That it's this um, this um, spirit that and force that goes through all 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 things. Yeah. Sorry. Okay, yeah. keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, to get onto that, to um, the force, uh, most of the notes I wrote while watching Star Wars were just me complaining about the special editions and complaining about Oof. the prequels. <laughs> yes. And so like a lot of the stuff I wrote down was like, yeah, the Force is referred to as a religion. The Force is this mystical thing that he's we don't a, understand. He's called a sorcerer it's, it's, it's and like, a wizard. Yeah, he's yeah. a sorcerer. He's called a wizard. It, 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 it's the opposite of what George Lucas then turned it into in the prequels where he said, no, well, it's actually these bacteria in your bloodstream called midichlorians. No. Uh, and it, that's what made me so furious because what's so great about Star Wars, what's so great about the Force and the Jedi and all this stuff is the mystical nature yes. of it. And that's well, that's like I don't, I, I mean, at this point, sure. Like, I think I feel like the original Star Wars, like the original trilogy. I don't even know if I'd necessarily call it sci-fi. It's because not. it doesn't explain itself enough to like yep. have that science part of it. It's more just like. Space it's, fantasy. It's fantasy. Space fantasy. Yeah, it's a and, fantasy movie that happens to take place in space. Yeah, and so I feel like there's like this thing where it's like anytime there's like technology that's like seen as like, you know, mechanical or, you know, things like that, then mm -hmm. it kind of gets this label of being sci-fi um, where I feel like, yeah, I don't think this movie, uh, yeah, it doesn't do enough to like try to explain any of the reasoning until it does and then... And does, then when it, and does, then it does, it does it badly. <laughs> yeah. you, want, you want to not know yeah. that that was, yeah. yeah. And that, that's like a whole like part of the fun of it of like, yeah, it is just like this like mystical, magic, yeah, exactly. mystical thing that exists and, yeah, and there's like. tied to a religion. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's like somehow able to like take on this like, you know, out 
you know, outgunned, outmanned, you know, type of scenario. Situ- <laughs> <laughs> Trademark that. I yes. Guess. yes. We are using scenario <laughs> from now on. Uh, but yeah, that, that's like the whole fun of it. And uh, yeah, just why would you, why would you mess with that? <laughs> no. And that's what captured, I think that's truly what captured people's imaginations. Certainly as kids, that was for me that there was this, force this other thing that maybe I could maybe I had the force too right and then again to reduce it to yeah to, to like take that but give it a pseudoscientific reasoning. and I think yeah. that along with the fact of just like it's such a simple story it's just like a retelling of the hero's tale yeah. but set in this fantasy space world that's why this movie became so huge why like it's a movie that like not you combine that with like the like groundbreaking changes in special effects that mm-hmm. Lucas developed while making this. And that's why it becomes one of those movies that changed movies. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well said. <laughs> uh, I did have one <laughs> quick note that was uh, when they're uh, at the beginning of the movie when uh, R2-D2 and C-3PO are using the escape pod to get away. Mm-hmm. Just like, why wouldn't you just shoot the Why not pod? shoot it? Like, why, why not shoot no, it anyway? There's no life form somewhere. <laughs> the, the fam- yeah. Family Guy did do a joke about that in their uh, <laughs> Star oh, Wars episode. Oh, yeah. like, there's no life ports aboard. He's like, why? Did the laser blasts cost anything? Yeah. <laughs> you don't do the budget, Terry. I do. <laughs> yeah, I also want watching New Hope. Sorry. While watching New Hope this time, all I could think of during certain scenes was Spaceballs. I was like, wow, <laughs> Spaceballs parodied this so well. Combing the desert, right? Like, yeah. oh, God. The desert. <laughs> you guys found anything yet? It goes to the two guys with the smallest thing, like a little Afro pick. We ain't found shit! <laughs> <laughs> yep. I did have a misremembered line in Star Wars Ooh. that is a direct reference to Hidden Fortress Ooh. because when they're talking about the battle station how they should be using this instead of everything else and Vader is defending the force the one general or whoever says like that your like attachment to that ancient religion hasn't given you the clairvoyance enough to find the rebels hidden fort he starts uh-huh. saying hidden fortress uh-huh. before he gets force joked I always thought I always remembered it as the rebels hidden base Ooh. but he says the rebels hidden fortress ah oh. that's there <laughs> see and, and again Lucas acknowledges how much he was influenced by these movies so it is not uh, we are not making this up as you just pointed out he's the, the, there's that term in the movie oh, I also wrote at one point uh, and I'm pretty sure it's when like Luke was like looking off into the distance and mm-hmm. like you know thinking over his life. I just like wrote John Williams, you beautiful bastard. <laughs> <laughs> just like the scoring at that moment was yeah. just like, oh, it's so good. It's like, so good. And then it's reframed at the end of also Last that Jedi. shot, the oh, shot of the two suns setting and Luke and combine that with the music and everything. Yep, it's, it's like. I was like, oh, I know how he's going to die now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think that uh, I have some more things that that influenced Star Wars, but I don't know if we want to keep doing that. Oh, in the I want to talk about the special. So there's the movie that came out in 77. Then there was the 90s special edition, which has all the horrible CGI. All the awful CGI that was put in. They they take a 
deleted scene where Han talks to Jabba the Hutt, who in the scene as filmed was a just a guy in a fur coat, and mm. they CGI in Darth it's Jabba the terrible Hutt. CGI. They, it's like what what you love about Jabba is his puppetness, right? And then yeah. to make this CGI make yeah. disgusting slug. And that they also changed the entire character nature of Han Solo. Yes. Okay. So in the '90s version, they had it the whole Han shot first with Greedo, right? That he in the '77 version, he shoots him without any provocation. In the '90s one, they add yeah, that Greedo shoots and misses, and Han shoots him the same time yes and fans were really pissed about Han shot first so in this version in the Disney plus version they've changed it yet again so uh, now before either of them shoots Grudo Grudo has a gibberish line that they don't translate and it's just like and then they fire at the same time so it's implied that maybe Grudo said something you know bad but they don't translate it they translate all the other parts or they say yeah that's Bizarre. It's so yeah. weird. So they've changed it yet a fucking yet. But that has to have been Disney who did it, Disney not did George it. Lucas. No, Disney did it. Yeah. Because all the special edition stuff was George Lucas. It was all him being like, well, I was never really satisfied with the product that I put out, and I wanted to do all this other stuff, but now I have the technology, so I'm going to go back in and... I love your George Lucas voice. <laughs> Can you do the whole podcast in that voice? Do the whole podcast as George you, Lucas. Uh, Colin also has just grew out a beard, so yeah, it's even more. I, I look a little bit more like George Lucas right now. <sighs> okay, yeah. So uh, we're, we're, we could talk about so that again that the uh, sword scene, the spears, and the final duel. I, there's this beautiful technique that um, Kurosawa uses in that when. The, the two who are dueling are surrounded by a ring of other um, soldiers. And as Toshiro Mifune and the other actor's name I can't remember move around, the whole um, body, all of those bodies respond in unison to how they're moving, right? And it becomes like this like school of fish going around <laughs> them, right? He, uh, Chris Oliver then uses that technique even more in a more sophisticated fashion in the uh, kind of first half hour of The Bad Sleep Well, which is um, a noir that Kurosawa made, a contemporary noir, where there's like dozens and dozens of paparazzi photographers. And the way he stages them in the frame is like the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. So even if you just only watch that those scenes of the paparazzi chasing Toshiro Mifune, it's gorgeous. But again, the idea that as you move, everything around you responds to it, right? That it's this very activated live thing. I think the other thing, just to go back to talking about animism, is that within this, there's there is the idea that some places might have more of a spirit than others, right? And that's where you'll sometimes see the kind of it looks like a folded piece of white paper that looks kind of like a lightning bolt tied to like a tree or to a stone or to a mountain right kind of like because it's seen as a place where there is more um spirit right Mm -hmm. kind of like a cave on Dagobah (laughs) 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 then they're very very uh you know caves uh natural objects etc um yeah I think that it really shows in this movie that Kurosawa was really influenced by American westerns and it also shows in this movie that he was more famous in the West and outside of Japan than he was in Japan, right? He was far more popular, won far more awards, was really recognized and heralded internationally, but he was quote unquote too Western. His style of filmmaking was too Western, um, too American for Japanese audiences um, and kind of thinking about post-war Japan. Is, 
Have I mis- been mispronouncing Leia this whole time? Because oh, that, someone no, calls her Leia. In that this that movie. goes back yes. to uh, George Lucas, who just didn't give a shit about the way any character names or place names were pronounced because everybody says all names differently all the time. Okay. Yes, Obi Wan, Obi Wan, Obi Wan. Like, there's like. Uh, she's called Leia throughout most of the movie, but the one guy calls her Leah. Han is called Han, Han. by a few different mm. people. <laughs> um. We'll call it regional accents. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> people have different accents when pronouncing it. Um, uh, I, I uh, going back to seeing New Hope again. Man, I remember when I was in college, we decided it'd be really fun to watch New Hope uh, as a drinking game, where every time Luke whines. You take a shot, right? We just yes. made this up. And Anytime then he has a line that is delivered in the and he's complaining, right? Oh complaining my way. gosh. We were tanked 20 minutes into the movie and we're like, this is not a fun game. Like, this is not... And I was going into Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's endless. So I, I highly don't recommend doing that as a drinking game because... It, it, or if you just want to black out, right? It's an immediate blackout. Um... There's also, you know, Alec Guinness notoriously hated the Star Wars movies, even though they launched him to a certain kind of international fame. And in his obituary, they related a story from his biography, which I think is really telling about Alec Guinness as a person. So I'll tell it really briefly. So he, um, he Star Wars had come out, and all of a sudden he's this international star when before he'd been a stage and kind of character actor, British character actor. So he goes to a restaurant, and he's like taking his clo- uh, giving his coat to the coat check, and the coach, and he's about to say his name. He goes, "Oh no, no, that's okay, sir. D- don't don't worry." And he's like, "Oh, he recognized me. I don't usually get recognized." So he sits and he eats his dinner. He's he's thinking about it, then he get, goes home, and as he's walking home, he puts his hand in his pocket to pull something out, and realizes there's a slip of paper in there, and the slip of paper says old man glasses because <laughs> the coach had forgotten to take it back out of how he identified him and realizing oh right this guy has no idea who i am and that was as a kind of way of describing um alec guinness's sensibility and how he, how he wanted to self-describe himself yeah that's funny that was really lovely i thought you were going to tell a different alec guinness story oh. about um he was out somewhere he got recognized by some fan who came up and was telling him how much he loves star wars and how much it meant to him and if I asking for an autograph or a picture or something, and Alex Guinness, because he hated Star Wars so much, said, "I'll do it if you promise never to watch Star Wars again." <laughs> oh yeah. my god! Yeah, again, yes, uh, yeah. He would. Uh, I, I, I believe that. <laughs> I believe he said that. <laughs> that seems appropriate. Yeah. Um. I let's also like going back to the fighting scene, the where. Uh, Toshiro Mifune, every time they kind of reapproach one another, he takes a different fighting stance and uses a different sparring technique, right? That sometimes he's holding it to the side, sometimes he's holding it above his head, da da da. They definitely reuse that for Kylo Ren's character in the in the current movies because every time Kylo fights, his stance changes, right? And will change throughout the battle. And I thought that was a nice, like, they clearly have done their sword fighting. <laughs> Someone out there, a fan who knows a lot about sword fighting, please. Please email me because I would like to know what all these different styles are called. Because <laughs> I'm that type of nerd. Um, yeah, I, I are we good? Yeah, um, uh, I, mean... I got a few more notes that okay. I can go through really quickly. Great. Um, there was always like kind of a theory among some fans and like some people like interpret the character this way that R2 is kind of like the mentality of, like a, a toddler or a mm. three year old, and so. Um, if you watch with a the dirty film, mouth apparently yeah like, <laughs> like, just curses a lot um if you watch the movie from that perspective it's a fun like new take on it mm. um 
my brother would be mad at me if I didn't mention a line that we always laughed about like as kids is like when Obi-Wan is uh, taking down the tractor beam there's these two stormtroopers and they're talking and like you wonder if like one of them was just ad-libbing or something and mm-hmm. the other one had no idea what he's talking about yeah. so you see that new uh, T-16 and he goes yeah some of the other guys were telling me about it says it's quite a quite a thing <laughs> <laughs> and so we don't yeah, just that? laugh about the line quite a thing because he doesn't know yeah. um, I, also I, I love... think they, they sorry they ta- they reuse that in Rogue One there's oh, a, they do. Yeah, yes. they have like a very similar interaction in Rogue One. Yes. The same yep. thing. I also love the line speaking with the uh, is, uh, when they're uh, investigating the the Jawa like moving fortress mm-hmm. and <laughs> Obi Wan says, "Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise." Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the characters who famously throughout the entire franchise cannot hit. Anything, anything are the anything. most precise users of blasters in the it's universe. Always great. Uh, the um, this movie has like a heavier use of Y wings than any other oh. like Star Wars movie, which always reminds me of the Nintendo sixty four video game Rogue Squadron, where anytime you have to fly a Y wing, you're stabbing yourself because they're awful. Like <laughs> the first mission you fly with them, uh, Mark Hamill has a line where he says, "Now remember, these things handle like sleepy huts." <laughs> Sleepy huts. <laughs> um, and yeah, apart from me just writing down special edition fuck you notes. Yeah, <laughs> I have a lot of those too, but I don't think we need to go yeah. through them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we have the Hidden Fort uh, Fortress about two squabbling peasants who help a feisty outlaw princess uh, led by a samurai master or, uh, to escape imperial forces. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think we, both of those describe both of the movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Uh, do we have, I guess, stats or... We do have stats. Oh, um, we'll do Hidden Fortress first, um, which has an 8.1 on IMDb, has no meta score. Uh, has a 97% Rotten Tomatoes and a 93% Audience Tomatoes. Hmm. Uh, Star Wars has an 8.6 on IMDb. It has a 90 on Metacritic. has a 93 Rotten Tomatoes and a 96 Audience Tomatoes. Oh. Did you Kevin Bacon it? I did not Kevin Bacon it. All right. Well, well, I have a lot of recommendations, so maybe you can think of you can Kevin Bacon it while I'm saying all those. Should I? I'm happy to launch into my recommendations. Yeah. Yeah. Let's. Do, do we, should we take a break? First? Yeah. Let's kick right in. Okay. So if you like this movie, if you like Star Wars, you should watch the nine thousand other Star Wars media properties and engage with them that way. But um, so this type of film that uh, that it, Hidden Fortress is what's called a Jedi Geki, uh, which is the Jedi means like period. And then Geki is film, so period film, like you have an Elizabethan period film or something like that. But the word Jedi is where you get the word Jedi. Oh. That's where that comes from. Um, so if other Jedi films that are very Jedi-like would be uh, Kurosawa's Seven Samurai. Of um, yeah, of course. And that you also have the character. Basically, the character of Yoda comes from Seven, Seven Samurai. Yojimbo, which uh, basically has the same cantina scene where an arm cuts off at the end. Um, then Throne of Blood, which is his retelling of Macbeth, which I think I've mentioned before. But that has, in my view, the best action scene I've ever seen, where Toshiro Mifune is literally being shot with arrows. They hit him in his chest. There's a block of wood underneath his samurai armor, right? But they're firing arrows at his head, at his face, onto his body. He's terrified. Like, everyone's like, how did you act this? He's like, they were really shooting me with arrows. They got these world champion archers. It's beautiful and terrifying and... 
Yeah, you should watch it. Yeah. So that, wow. best action scene ever. <laughs> that awesome. End of Throne of Blood. It's uh, okay. And then uh, his Gendai film, Gendai Geki, the contemporary uh, uh, films would be High and Low, which is I mentioned during Parasite because it is the first half hour, 45 minutes of that is very much like Parasite. Um, the Bad Sleep Well, that's the one that has the flocking paparazzis. Um, if you like this, a story from the point of view of fools, two fools, then I would recommend um, Tom Stoppard's play and the movie version of uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead, yeah. which is a retelling of Hamlet from the two fools' point of view. Um, so, again, kind of people taking that trope and running with it. Uh, again, I would mention that manga that I said before, <laughs> especially if you're watching The Mandalorian. There is a fantastic book called The Emperor and the Wolf. And then it has a subtitle like The Films and Lives of Akira Kurosawa and Toshiro Mifune. But it's several hundred pages really goes into their working relationship. So again, Kurosawa's nickname was The Emperor. Mifune's was The Wolf. Um, and then last but not least, I would recommend anything that Jenny Nicholson does on Star Wars. Uh, all of her Star Wars related YouTube material is phenomenal, including the one where um, my favorite is the one where she prove kind of in anticipation after uh, what's the first one the force awakens people were saying oh uh ray must be uh luke's daughter right that whole thing and he doesn't she does an amazing job skewering that even down to like why did you leave me on this planet alone like i can't read do you know that that i can't read i, <laughs> I had to kill a jawa and Can eat anyone it to survive. In Star Wars read? right <laughs> like it's, really... it's an illiterate universe that's another uh, <laughs> fan theory that people have noticed there's no up until um I think it might be The Last Jedi where they have like the sacred Jedi texts or whatever. Yeah. There are no books in the Star Wars oh. universe. When they go to like the um, library in yes. one of the prequels, it's all holograms and shit. There are no books in Star Wars. I think in the Clone Wars TV series, they have books. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> or maybe maybe they're just hol you know, holocrons. Not holocrons. They also have holocrons, but that's something slightly different. Anyway, okay, there we go. So Jenny Nicholson's any of her... Star Wars I do, really I do like her stuff, out. except she didn't like Rogue One, and so that's my one disagreement with her. Oh, uh, <laughs> there we go. Yes. Um. Yeah. What do you? What do you got? For I, us? Don't, I don't know. Let's see. You brought us Billy D. Williams, so that's enough of a recommendation. Oh, true. Just, yeah. <laughs> just watch everything Billy D. Williams is in. <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean, I've already recommended Saga because that's always just like my go-to of like what. I would love for Star Wars to be. Become. Um, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, I talked about like Exiles. They have like a Western series, like Western part. Um, yeah, I just got like a lot of comics that I've been reading a lot mm -hmm. lately, but uh, most of those are a little bit ongoing and I think I've already recommended them. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, you know, it's I guess probably like holiday-ish season. So I don't know. Hide from your loved ones or... <laughs> Try not to eat too much food. Yeah. <laughs> or do, because, you know, why that's not? That's what day. the holidays are Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, yeah, the planet's burning, and, you know, who knows how long we're going to be alive. We might not, might not have food next year. Yeah. <laughs> we might have to kill a Jawa. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, that's, yeah, be awesome to people. Be nice. Oh, or be yeah. kind, because nice is whatever. Be kind. <laughs> What do you got, Colin? Well, um, first I'm going to recommend episode seven of the Pod F Tomcast, Paulo Tompkins' first podcast, in which he does uh, Google Voice Theater, where he plays uh, like yeah. a scene from a like very famous movie into his phone, 
and he was using Google Voice as his voicemail at the time, and it would give you a transcript that was like wildly inaccurate. Nice. Then they take those transcripts and they act them out, so they do the Mos Eisley Cantina scene mm-hmm. nice. um, in Google Voice Theater, and it's it is hilarious. Um, I will also recommend the podcast Mission to Zix. Um, very Star Wars esque, uh, improvised sci fi mm. fantasy um, story. One of the things I noticed w- was that, like, oh yeah, the voice modulation that they use for Clint's on Mission to Six is just stormtroopers. They just. <laughs> nice. Um, Mission to Six? I think. Mission to ZYXX. Z-Y-X-X. Mission to Six. Um, also, uh, the Super Ego podcast, because they do a um, recurring segment on there, a sketch called The Brown Squadron. Which is always like they'll do each of the big space battles, like the so the Brown Squadron's assault on the Death yep. Star, the Brown Squadron at the Battle of Hoth, like the nice. Battle of Brown Squadron. Oh. Um, and of course, uh, there is always if you like Star Wars, you like the hero's journey aspect of it. Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces. Yes, that is the other major influence for Star Wars. Yeah. Oh, I do have one more thing. Um... Can we, I bet we can get from Harrison Ford to Kevin Bacon pretty directly. <laughs> <laughs> and it includes presents for my co-host. What? what? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Oh, man. Yeah, it's the I'm, I'm uh, Star Trek Picard comic that just uh, came out. Let me make sure. Of that. Yes, yes. From, yeah, um, IDW is the uh, publisher. And yeah, I saw those at the comic book store this week and I was like, oh, I'll get those for my lovely co-hosts for being such awesome people in this season of, you know, being thankful. And oh, I love so this. yeah, you guys are awesome. <laughs> this is amazing. Thanks so for... much. I'm just petting Picard's <laughs> yeah. face. <laughs> um, yeah, I read, like, yeah, I read through the first issue. It's pretty it fun. Yeah, I like it a lot. So um, yeah. Thank you. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, on that note, um, yeah, tell someone today that you're thankful for them. You know, be nice and let them know. Um, And on that note, we are out of this piece. Um, You can find us online. We are on Twitter at IWITWT, on Instagram. If it's working, because who knows, it's like in and out every other day these, <laughs> at this point. But um, we're on there at IWYTWT. We've got a website that is IWYTWT.com. Um, let's see. Uh, we're on Facebook, Facebook? too. Yeah, yeah, Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash IWYTWT. Um, check us out on Patreon, Patreon.com forward slash IWYTWT. You know. The things that's where we're at. If you if you type in IWITWT on like almost anything, you can probably find us. I'm just assuming at this point because we're so famous. Um, but yeah, you can find both Colin and I individually. I am on Twitter at Catharticus. I am at Colin Munch. And I would like to be left alone. <laughs> Especially for this episode because yeah. there's a- going to be some pretty angry. Bros. I'm a no, girl. I think we'll be fine. I think we'll be yeah. fine. We're just gonna. We're just gonna. It is the season. I'm just gonna. <laughs> I'm just gonna Thank like you. hold on to a little bit of hope for humanity. Yeah. And just like you know, I think that you know, I feel like most people that are listening at this point like get a. They've got a pretty good idea of who we are as yeah, a podcast. They do. And uh, if you don't, and you come calling, just just don't. Just don't. Yeah. Why? Why would you? It's so easy to just 
say nothing. When you don't like something, you can just say nothing. Yeah, there's always that option to just not say anything. You can just keep it to yourself. But, you know, it's the internet. I get it. People gotta gotta say what they're gonna say. But we hope that you'll say nice things. (laughs) And be kind to one another. I'm gonna say it again just because... I feel like we all just need reminders. I love it. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for listening. And I'm not sure when this will be coming out, but happy holidays, happy new year, happy new decade. Happy I don't know. everything. Whenever you're listening to all this. All the <laughs> Bye. The force of the lithium. Always.